One day in some incredibly boring statistics lecture at university, um, the guy in the row behind me, a friend of mine called Rob, he leaned forward and he passed me a note and he said, do you want to go and cycle the Karakoram Highway from Pakistan to China this summer? Which suddenly escalated everything. So I went to go and do that with my friend Rob and, uh, and that then started to give me a bit more confidence of being a bit bolder and more ambitious with my adventure ideas. Those who are living a life of freedom have optimised themselves and their lives in pursuit of one thing, choice. They've created the financial, geographical and time freedom to do what they want, when they want to. But they've also created freedom from their internal limitations, their story, their biology and their character. In this podcast, The Freedom Project, it is my attempt to shortcut your learning curve to having total freedom in your life so you can go and do more cool shit. I'm going to bring you deep dives into some of the most inspiring adventure athletes and business owners in the world. I'm also going to give you the key concepts of my coaching process to adventurepreneurs so you can start applying that to your life today. So here is another episode of The Freedom Project. Welcome to The Freedom Project, a podcast that celebrates the spirit of adventure and those who live it to the fullest. Today, we are honoured to welcome Alistair Humphreys, a man whose name has become synonymous with adventure and exploration. Alistair, recognised as a National Geographic Adventurer of the Year, has inspired countless individuals through his incredible journeys and his advocacy for the natural world. His adventures, which began in his youth, include the remarkable feat of cycling around the world and pushing the limits of human endurance and curiosity. He's not only an adventurer, but also a storyteller, author and filmmaker, capturing the essence of exploration in its various forms. His books have opened up new worlds to readers and his monthly newsletters share insights and inspiration from his travels. Alistair's concept of the micro-adventures has encouraged people to find adventure in the everyday, challenging the notion that you need to travel far to experience the thrill of exploration. In this episode, we'll dive deep into Alistair's life, exploring his early adventures like Yorkshire Three Peaks Challenge at just nine years old and his transformative cycling journey across continent. We'll also delve into his philosophies on living adventurously, caring for the environment and finding joy in the small things. His collaborations with brands to promote the concept of micro-adventures showcases commitment to making adventure accessible to all. Join us as we journey through Alistair Humphrey's inspiring life discovering how he has turned every challenge into an opportunity for growth and how he continues to inspire others to embrace the unknown. Whether you're an avid adventurer or just someone looking for a little extra inspiration to step outside your comfort zone, this episode is for you. Welcome to the show, Alistair. Thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure. It always feels like kind of weird to introduce like, and to, to welcome you to the show. I've been chatting for 10 minutes already. But anyway... Um, I'm going to personally start this with a thank you. Your two, well, two of your books sit on my coffee table and they're consistently cleaned up by my wife, but I put them back out there as a consistent reminder to both plan grand adventures and to make micro adventures happen. Um, so first up, a massive thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Good. I'm glad to hear. It's nice to, that's always, it's, it's a weird thing writing books in a shed, um, in a sort of silent world. So when you found a connection, they've actually reached someone out there and actually having an impact, that's really nice. So thank you. Yeah, I didn't, well, my absolute pleasure. And actually more of a pleasure to to read them. So I'm interested by the, the transition period of, okay, this is about micro adventures and doing small things. Because you, you went on the 
the grand adventure you, you did the the big like cycling around the world and like you did some other huge adventures there's adventure in yukon and then there's also adventures view on those micro adventures swimming the length of a river um so they become much more home-based what was happening at that point where you're like okay i need to focus more on on micro adventures um there's all sorts of things i suppose i think i've tried to just allow my definition of adventure to be flexible and fluid and evolve over the years but i think the i think probably the most interesting part was that i was personally really enjoying going on big expeditions for all the reasons that people like big adventures but i was aware that there was a disconnect between um say the people who maybe bought some of my earlier books or came to my talks and things there's a disconnect between people who enjoy adventure versus there's not actually that many people out there doing massive expeditions why not well time and money are the two simple answers so i started trying to think how it would be possible or whether it was possible to combine adventure with real life and to try then to find short, simple, local um, iterations of, of big stuff and just squeeze it in close to home. And when I started, I wasn't really sure. It sort of made sense to me, but I wasn't really sure whether other people would connect with that idea. But micro adventures quickly grew um, to be much more interesting to more people than me, yet another middle-class white bloke pratting around in the middle of nowhere. So uh, they started to uh, have a resonance and a connection with people, which was really nice. And I, I find it amazing now that nine years, ten years since uh, I wrote the Micro Adventures book that we're still talking about it. But it's good. It's good. I, for a while, I was hoping it would go away and I could get back to trying to do big <laughs> stuff. But actually now I'm proud that it's stuck around and has an impact on lots of people with normal lives yes that's where i was going to go do you still get that itch for the the grand adventures the the big stuff i had an email today actually from some guy who's walked from sweden to singapore um and i've just written a book about exploring the local single ordnance survey map that i live on and i've been banging on about that for a while he was emailing me to ask whether he thought it would be a good idea for him to explore his local map next year rather than going on a massive adventure um and my answer to him was that i found it really rewarding and interesting to operate under these constraints of small micro adventures and it's been it's brought lots of good stuff to my life but there is also that itch to just head for the horizon that i suspect will be uh, within me forever so um they're not they're not a direct substitute for them but they're uh, there's a decent enough overlap between the two i think yeah because there must be a a real change of focal point when you start thinking local when it's almost like there's a book um walk or walking by erling Kagg, and he talks about the benefit of walking as opposed to driving or walking as opposed to cycling and that you slow down and that you experience more as opposed to it just whizzing past the window in a blur um or you're thirty thousand feet over it and you get you almost extract more from the value you're in your um depth of field changes a little bit so you must find that when you go when you hone in on that os map and go okay this is the the area that i'm exploring now 
Yeah, I think that's a that's a good example. That walking book, and uh, he also wrote a book called Solitude, similar sort of concept. And he was a, a tough Norwegian um, military um, guy who's done all these crazy hardcore um, Arctic expeditions. So it's interesting, I think, that he that he's chosen within the scope of his big stuff to also hone in on choosing to write about the smaller, more focused meditative aspects of the expeditions. Um, sorry, I've forgotten your question. <laughs> Me too. Okay, Me too. I think well, one... That's because I don't actually ask questions. That's why I just like kind of spout off, <laughs> spout off. I think. I, I There's think something around um, the, the change of field. Oh yes, that was it. So um, when I started trying to explore this one small map, I, I worried that it would be too limiting and that I'd just get frustrated and just want to go, to go further which has, I suppose, because that's just always been my inclination for travel for my whole adult life is, right, oh, if I go to that horizon there, then I'll go to another horizon. And that's that's a simple way of doing journeys. So it required a conscious effort to say, no, this is different. You need to slow down, pay more attention and look more closely. And the most useful thing I think I did in this was to take my camera uh, out with me um, not just a camera on a phone but an actual camera and to actually hold it in my hands rather than just have it in a rucksack because that then just forced me that this is what I'm going to be trying to do today I'm going to try and take interesting photos of whatever I see even in perhaps seemingly mundane and boring places and um, to try and see the interest and the beauty and everything and once I started to get into this mindset of slowing down paying attention being curious being interested in things and I think once you become interested in something in anything then it becomes interesting and the more you're interested the more you find is interesting and then you get this feedback loop and quite soon I came to feel that actually this map wasn't restrictive and small at all I could quite easily spend an entire lifetime diving down the different rabbit holes of things I found here if only I internally deem that to be sufficiently interesting to be worthy of my time and attention so that's fascinating it reminds me of the idea of you know when you you first have a glass of wine when you're a kid and you're like oh like what that's kind of punchy and then you have another glass of red wine and it's like the same thing and then you have another glass and it's completely different bottles from Newton areas, but you're like, okay, that's the same taste. But then you become more tuned to the palate and you become more tuned to the um, the differences and the idiosyncrasies of each environment. But like it's the more you look, and it reminds me of that um the idea of like when you learn to paint, you're actually learning to see because you're not taking things for for granted. You're looking at those small details. And it sounds like that's what you're doing when you when you say okay, I'm limiting myself to this, um, to this area. Yeah, I think I think the the painting is a really good um, example there. I still haven't got the sophisticated differentiation of red wines. My my wine choice is based entirely by the font on the label and how much it's discounted <laughs> on the shop shelf. That's the my yes, that's the limit of my stuff. expertise. But I think um, something I occasionally do, and I always wish that I did it more is I just sit down in a place and I start to draw what I see. And I'm terrible at drawing, which I think then mm-hmm. puts me off a bit. But that you're exactly right. Just by thinking, right, I'm going to try and draw this, then you start to get a lot more out of it. Um, a few times in the year, because I'm quite a hyperactive person and, and 
sometimes quite busy. And occasionally I would think, oh, I don't have time to justify wandering around these woods today. I should be at home doing vital stuff like sending emails or something ridiculous like that that we tend to think is so vital. So the times when I felt too busy to be out in the woods were the times when I deliberately had to force myself to slow down and just embrace being out there. Um, and and the way a, a simple way I did that was, there was if I was feeling, oh, I can't possibly waste an hour out in nature. I'm far too busy sending emails. I would deliberately then just sit on a log for a whole hour with no phone, no music, no pen, no paper, no distraction, just set an alarm and then just sit there for an hour and force myself to waste that hour. And of course, then that became, well, it was a fascinating, fascinating experience. It was incredible how difficult I found it to spend time with myself with no distractions. But once you slow down into it, then you become far more aware of that environment. And interestingly, when the alarm sounded to tell me that my hour was up, my first emotion was always of disappointment rather than relief that I'd been rescued from the, the boredom of spending an hour in my own company. How frequently were you, you doing that? The, the sitting for, for, um, sitting for an hour, I tried to do once a month over the course of the year. And I actually hoped that it would be something that I would carry on to be a almost to build into a lifetime habit. But I've done that ridiculous thing of thinking, oh, no, I'm too busy for that, which, of course, is the exact reason why I should be doing it. There's that old, ancient Buddhist saying that uh, if you're too busy uh, spend, if you're too busy sending emails to spend 20 minutes sitting in the forest, then you need to spend an hour sitting in the forest. So I think the busy you are, the more you think, oh, I can't spend time to do this, probably the more you need to do it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I so frequently find myself it's like running my own business. So I have to do things. There's an endless thing of like list of things to do. Tick the box, tick the box, tick the box. And some of them are very important, but um, you miss life if you if you do that and you're just doing. And I, like my, I don't know about you, my biggest fear is I, hence the calendar that we've already spoken about, is that I get to the end of my life and I go, I missed it. I missed it all. And it was because I was too busy to actually smell the roses. Mm, too busy sending emails. There's there's um, a nice difference between the words urgent and important. And I think the curse of emails is that it gives you endless urgent stuff to do. Um, yeah. So you think, oh, I'll just spend two hours answering people's emails. That's a uh, important thing to be doing. It's not important. It's an urgent thing, that, uh, perhaps. And then, of course sending those emails just leads to another flurry in return. So that's a, a battle that can never be won. So trying to do the stuff that's important in your work or your life and to dampen down the, the shouting noise of the urgent is a, is a good thing to try to differentiate. Mm, yeah, absolutely. With the, so you were adventurous pretty much from a young age, right? From Was it nine that you did? Was it Yorkshire Three Peaks when you were... When you did that? Yeah, I did. So when I was nine, I did um, the Yorkshire Three Peaks, which is a sort of 20 mile hike over three peaks in Yorkshire Dales that you have to do in 12 hours. But that, I think that paints a that paints the wrong impression of me being some sort of crazy, adventurous young kid. I just was lucky that I went to a school where the entire school went off and did that, and it just felt entirely normal. Yeah. And uh, so I, I was lucky that I had a childhood that involved running around the hills and stuff, but I really wasn't particularly adventurous at all. I was completely normal. 
until uh, until I became a student, really. That was when my, my mindset started to shift towards challenges and towards adventures and towards travel. But no, it definitely wasn't a young, adventurous soul. Okay. Were there examples of adventure in your life, for example, um, grandparents or parents or like family or anyone like that that kind of lit that fire in you? I find this really interesting now as a reflection of how we find uh, our parents incredibly boring. <laughs> um, so my dad, <laughs> my dad essentially ran away to sea when he was about 15 or 16 and spent about seven or eight years traveling around the world in the merchant navy. He went to all sorts of crazy places all over the planet. And he used to talk about that a lot as a kid. But I literally think that had zero impact on my own adventurousness because they just I just didn't pay an ounce of attention to any of those stories at all um, until once I was actually off as an adult cycling around the world. Sometimes I'd phone home and my dad say, oh, yeah, I was in that place once. And then it, then it had a resonance. But uh, he did that. But I think it had, I honestly think it had literally zero impact on my own direction. So when did that call to adventure start when you're a student? And was that from meeting someone? Was it from just that kind of, I think it's almost like that post-adolescent age of I want to explore and that um, adventurous explorational, um, I don't know, archetype? Yeah, so there's a couple of things that happened for me that changed my direction. The first was between school and university. I went and taught in a little village school in the m- middle of, really remote part of southern africa and that just opened my eyes to wow there is a crazy world beyond the yorkshire dales i want to see more of this so that got me interested in seeing different parts of the world and then when i went to university two things happened there one i started to really enjoy reading books of crazy men and women doing ridiculous expeditions i started to really enjoy those stories Um, and then the other was that i joined the essentially the territorial army like the university's version of the TA, um, which I I had no interest in ending military at all, but you got paid to do it. You got paid to go run around the hills and they had a cheap bar and social life. And I love I came to absolutely love that. That was the first time in my life I'd ever done anything that was sort of physically challenging and where it felt really good to push yourself really hard along with other people. And uh, and I started to realize I was quite good at having a miserable time. And so that sort of those sort of physical challenges plus the tra- reading of travel books got me interested in trying to go off and start doing some adventures. What was the pinnacle adventure of adventure in your mind at that point? What was the thing that like was the emblem of adventure? So at the time, I was really enjoying reading books of expeditions like people like um, Ranulph Fiennes or Benedict Allen crossing the Amazon, these really hardcore journeys. But there was still a big disconnect in my mind between those stories versus what I might consider doing myself. An example of that would be my plan for my first summer after um, first summer holiday in university was to go and cycle the length of Italy. That was my sort of ambitious adventure plan. And I'm sure that I would have gone and done it and found it interesting and adventurous in its own way but I was very lucky that um, one day in some incredibly boring statistics lecture at university um, the guy in the row behind me a friend of mine called Rob he leaned forward and he passed me a note and he said do you want to go and cycle the Karakoram highway from Pakistan to China this summer which suddenly escalated everything so I went to go and do that with my friend Rob and uh, and that then started to give me a bit more confidence of 
being a bit bolder and more ambitious with my adventure ideas. What was Pakistan like at that time? Oh, it's, it was fantastic. I mean, this was um, sort of safety-wise and things. It was all it was all um, pretty fine, really. But it it was um, just my first experience of that sort of craziness that I still love when you arrive in a very distant country often late at night and you get off the plane and it's hot and the air smells different and everything is a bit noisy and chaotic <laughs> and an example of my naivety is I came out of the airport with a huge um, cardboard box with my bicycle and tent and stuff in and we needed to get a taxi to where we we're going to stay that night and the guy said to us oh can I help you put this box into the taxi and I said oh yeah thank you that would be nice and then he said you have to pay me for this I was like oh okay how much did it cost he said 20 pounds I went oh okay and I gave him 20 pounds for literally 10 seconds of work and after that then I that then taught me a strong lesson so it was great it was very different to what I was used to and then geez I'd never this was my first time to see proper mountains five six seven thousand meter mountains um, boiling hot freezing cold struggling with the altitude but that was like proper wild landscapes the first time in my life i absolutely loved it god that's got me very excited i'm heading to pakistan for the first time in may um going on a ski mountaineering expedition ah. out there and that's got me extra you'll excited probably be that. heading i imagine up the same road we cycle in up the karakoram highway it goes up past nangaparba to yes. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah that's exactly where wow. we're headed very, up very beautiful yeah yeah. So, um, what did you what did you learn about yourself on that that first expedition? Because that's a that's not the standard two week holiday from that people go on in university summer holidays. I'm not sure Rob or I gave did much introspection. Really, I think what what um, one thing I certainly learned was what is the point of my adventure. So we basically got on our bikes and then just rode as fast as we could from Pakistan to China. <laughs> and we ended up getting to China quite a few weeks earlier than we'd intended to. And then we basically headed towards home. It's like, <laughs> so we, we didn't really see anything or do anything. We just rode and it was great. I mean, we're riding through little villages and seeing massive mountains, but completely and utterly missed out on the potential for, for what there could have been. Um, so um, yeah, I think I hadn't yet learned to, slow down on my adventures but i don't think we did anything particularly uh introspective or reflective but um i definitely just thought wow i want more of this traveling by bike is a fantastic way to uh to challenge myself and to explore and i want to do more of it yeah this seems to strike that really nice balance between um between speed and also enough yeah well it's the right speed yes. essentially of, of seeing new places but also not being in one place for, for yeah, ages exactly and you um you're not cocooned away from the environment as you are in a vehicle it's very easy to stop and yeah. engage with whatever happens along yes. happens along the way it's hard work so it's painful and it's a challenge but it and it's slow mm -hmm. and they're all good things but it's not as slow or painful as a long hike is with a backpack on your back so i do think it's mm -hmm. the perfect way for exploring a country so something I'm always interested in when I speak to someone who's been on many, many adventures is about the people you meet. Is there anyone that stands out through all your travels all over the world? Is there like one person that you see and you're like, okay, that person really stood well, out Well, there's a me. wonderful example from that um, 
first trip to Pakistan when I guess uh, my parents were pretty worried about me going off to Pakistan. It sounded a dangerous sort of place to them. <laughs> and we cycled into this village and we arrived at uh, a cafe and uh, Rob and I, we just uh, we just put, put propped our bikes up outside the cafe, walked in, sat down and there was a, a man in there and we essentially said, um, please can we have some food? Um, and he went off and he got some food and provided it for us and then we sort of said right how much do we have to pay so like, no you don't have to pay this isn't a cafe it's my house we just walked into some we just walked <laughs> into some guy's house but rather than him just telling us to get lost he just made us lunch it was incredible he just and fed you <laughs> there's a, the, our naivety is quite amusing but little episodes like that happen so often when you're traveling and they happen a lot when you travel in remote and poor and so-called dangerous parts of the world very much so um yeah i think i don't really have particular examples of specifics i just have a lot of blended memories of nice people like that just a quick one from me if you haven't already downloaded the adventurepreneur's ultimate route planning and navigation guide to absolute freedom and doing more cool shit what are you waiting for in this totally free guide, I give you the frameworks that I've talked to hundreds of adventurepreneurs that set their life up for more freedom so they can get out and live a life full of adventure. It's going to teach you how to set your days and weeks up in order to maximize your time doing the things you love and how to perform at your best day in, day out and burst through your limitations. It's packed full of actionable steps and you can get it by going to bit.ly slash adventure.nav. Once again, that's bit.ly slash adventure-nav. That's what's fascinating. I think it was when I spoke to Charlie Walker on the podcast, he said about the same person that he meets all over the world, which is this kind of archetype of a human being that has nothing but gives everything. And he says, you see that time and time again. Yeah, that's a really good, I'm going to steal that from Charlie for the next time I get asked this sort of question. Because I, I tend to feel that I should give one example of some shining Mother Teresa character. But I think that's a very good example from Charlie of just the, the generic goodness and kindness of pretty much everyone you meet on, on travels. What do you learn about adversity when you adventure so much? Um, I think particularly once I started going on journeys by myself, I, I realized that I was not nearly as tough and heroic as I like to imagine I was. Uh, they can be quite humiliating and humbling experiences to pitch yourself against a big landscape that doesn't care and is far bigger and tougher than you, you will ever be. So um, I found them quite humbling experiences. But on the more positive side, equally, um, I think the adversity of physical challenges has taught me that I'm I'm not as pathetic, useless or weak-willed as I often t tell myself I am in my sort of less uh, kind moments to myself. That, yeah, actually, hang on, I've muddled on and kept going and plugged away and covered some big ground. And, hey, I should say well done to myself now and again as well. So I think it's quite good leveling experience going on an expedition you're not you're not as tough as you as you like to dream that you are and you're not as pathetic as you perhaps think you are in the long cold dark nights of the soul when you can't sleep at three in the morning hmm. how do you how do you deal with solitude um 
Well, there's a fine line between solitude and loneliness. And the interesting thing is that that line is invisible and movable. So um, sometimes I absolutely love being out on my own in wild places. I love it when I'm somewhere where nobody on the planet knows where I am and I'm 100% reliant on myself. And equally, there's no phone signal and nobody on the planet can bother me at all. So that's the wonderful solitude, watch the sunset times of being alone. And then there's the the times when it can be, it could be the exact same location, just with a different mindset or mood um, for that day, when it's just this incredible crushing loneliness and sadness. And I've often sobbed my heart out in tents, just wishing that I wasn't alone and that I was with people who I cared about and who cared about me. And I, um, something I miss a lot when I'm away from home is that sense of community and belonging and regularity and routine, which ironically are then often the things which when I'm home drive me nuts and make me just want to go away again and be on my own in the middle of nowhere again. Yeah, distance makes mm. the heart grow fonder. That's a, a really interesting aspect of the emotional outpourings that you sometimes get in these environments. I feel like they really, it's almost like a psychedelic trip. It forces you to confront things that you have been burying because you have that um, either solitude or the experience or the the hardship that facilitates it. And I think these, I think they are a good reason why it's good for anyone to try and go on an adventure by themselves sometime. It doesn't have to be a long one, uh, you know, there's, um, but to try and dare yourself to travel alone at times. Because when you're, when you're on an expedition with someone else, you don't get those extremes of highs or lows. You, get, you have wonderful times of companionship with the person that you're with, mm-hmm. and you have that really nice thing of shared memories that you can share later on in life. But the 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 sort of lonely homesick type things don't I don't think then they manifest themselves in such a wholesome way that sort of a good old sob and a realization that you love people back home is probably a good thing to do now and again whereas I tend to find that when I'm feeling those sort of feelings when I'm with someone else it tends to manifest itself more in resentment to the other person and I find myself just developing massive irrational violent hatreds for this person who's my very good friend who I'm on an adventure with but spending far, spending too much time in a tent with someone um can drive me to just want to just punch them in the face for the way they hold their spoon or something which is <laughs> ridiculous yeah and um, how do you approach writing when you're away because I've always found that when I'm in environments that are novel, it either sparks, it connects loose thoughts, or it kind of unencumbers me in my writing. Yeah, I've, I really enjoy writing when I'm away from home, and I keep a diary on my travels much more thoroughly than I ever do in normal life back home. And I partly do that because I'm planning and hoping to write about my experiences later in, in books and blogs and stuff. But it's also a, a companion, especially when you're on your own. It's a, a way to articulate your thoughts and just to pour them out onto a page to get them in some sort of semblance of order in a way that you might normally do with um, a partner if you were with somebody else. Um, so, so I like it for those 
um, reasons, and also for the just the untangling of thoughts and ideas, and the the plans, making plans for this future idyllic better me that there's going to be when I get back home. All these great good intentions I was write down that never come to pass when I actually get home. Um, so, so I tend to have two notebooks when I'm on a trip. I have a sort of, nor, a sort of um, a normal sized one, which is in my rucksack or my pannier or something. And I write when I'm in my sleeping bag or when I'm cooking my meal at night. But I also like to have a tiny little notebook and little stub of a pencil that goes in my pocket so that I can, while I'm actually walking or even cycling I can just write down a few thoughts that pop into my head that might have passed by otherwise um mm. and uh, um yeah the, th- the things that occur to me in the moment that I've probably forgotten by the evening I like to jot those down too that's a really lovely idea and it stops the such a big jump between getting your phone out and using the notes on that and it kind of pulls you out of the moment yeah and for, I mean and also, just from a purely romantic traveller's point of view, it's such a great thing to get home and have uh, mud-soaked, coffee-soaked, mosquito-splattered notebooks yeah. versus just a, just another file of notes on your phone, which you'll never look at um, again, probably. So, yeah, I love that. There's a, um, a, a guy called Austin Cleon writes a nice sort of artist's blog, but he, he has a nice phrase of um, phone smash, notebooks bend. So that's another good reason just to have a, a notebook. So yeah, I'm definitely very analog in my writing when I'm away. Well, that seems thematic of what we're actually talking about here. The call to adventure and the immersion in the real world seems to be as analog as it gets, whereas the frenetic instant gratification um, urgency of email and task completion seems like what we are just pulled to get away from. I like that your priorities are very different when you're away on your on an expedition and the goal of a day is to get from here to there by foot or bike or boat or whatever so to cover some miles and do that physical exercise and then to find a safe and comfortable place to sleep and to make sure you've got some food to eat and a nice big dinner at night and then you go to sleep basically when the sun set and that is all you need for that day to have felt complete and fulfilled whereas back home I feel partly torn in loads of different directions by all the sort of nonsense of emails and social media and stuff but also just an endless unfulfillment that I haven't achieved today what I potentially could have achieved and um, there's a really good book um, 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Burke which is a fantastic book for anyone who feels that this sort of uh, frenzied drive to do more and more and more and he writes about uh, just trying to accept that in a day you get done what you do in a day and that's all you're going to get done and that's fine and this this concept of of, of busyness and piling up tasks is a is a relatively recent one. So the the expedition life is a simpler is a hark back to a simpler sense of satisfaction. Yeah, the simplicity and intensity at the same time. Yes, yeah, exactly, and the the sense of purpose. So today, I know what I need to do today in order for today to have been a good day. And you go and do those things and then you're knackered and you eat some pasta that would be disgusting at home, but tastes delicious. And then you sleep like a log <laughs> and then bang, that is, that's living. That's great. 
Yeah, it's that harking for simplicity that seems to be. I d- I don't know whether it's just me superimposing my value system over everyone that I meet, but it feels like when you really get to speak to someone, there's that itch that they need to scratch there's that kind of call to do something for a simple purposeful life and it's trying to find that that is really the the meaning behind the adventure i think Mm. yes yeah i think that the simplicity of adventure is is a a really nice aspect of it I, i don't know how many normal people in normal life would associate adventure with being simplicity i think they might I think more people might associate it with the fun and excitement that gets you away from the routine of normal life. But actually, adventures and expeditions are very, very routine. And they're often not that exciting. Or if they are exciting, it's because you've done something wrong. So they're they're often kind of boring. Yeah, hopefully not exciting. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I'm trundling along on my trips, hopefully having planned and prepared quite well. But as I'm trundling along, I'm thinking wow, this is going to make a really boring book because nothing bad's happening. But equally, you don't want anything bad to happen either. So I think the the sort of simplicity and that satisfaction of adventure is maybe not a reason um, an outsider might sign up for it. But I think for those people who've done adventurous things, that's certainly a, a part that's really cherished. Um, I did a, a, a podcast a while ago with a, it was quite a, a nerdy gear, techie sort of hiking podcast and they wanted to ask me all things about like what kind of sleeping bags I use and trekking poles and all that sort of stuff that's relevant for that but but all I could really keep answering was just how (laughs) I just like to have as little stuff as possible enough so that I'm comfortable and go to sleep tonight you know any fool can be uncomfortable and cold so I want to be warm and get a good sleep but beyond that I want literally nothing I don't want anything that will make my tent feel luxurious because I, I I want to leave all of that behind, um, partly so that when I come home, I hopefully really appreciate it for a while. But yeah, I really just like the ascetic, monastic simplicity of adventures, even though I do then spend my entire time when I'm away on an expedition nattering to my friend about, oh, I can't wait to have a hot shower. Oh, my bed's going to feel so nice. Oh, I really want some chilli sauce. So I'm constantly going on about all that sort of stuff. But But I do appreciate not having those things too. Yeah, I, that, I always find that fascinating how you in, have to intentionally put yourself in that place now of we've got such a comfortable lifestyle where you can, um, Nick Goldsmith talked about it in my podcast as well, where he said like you don't have to leave your letterbox if you don't want to. It's like Amazon will come to, like deliver everything you need. Um, you've got your food coming to you, like everything can be delivered there. But there's this like a drive for getting out and making sure these things happen. And I think that's what you've made very accessible with firstly uh, microventures and now local as well. I, yeah, I hope so. I mean, we're, we're recording this in the, the run up to Christmas and I've been uh, trying to buy my uh, Christmas shopping for friends and family. And I find it so hard because all of my friends and myself very much including this, basically just, if I want something, I just buy it. And then Amazon will bring it tomorrow. And if I if I need something, I definitely buy it now and Amazon will bring it tomorrow. And and this is, you know, I'm wonderfully privileged to be able to do that. And we live in this insanely um, comfortable world. But yet that all of those things make it very much a drive and an appeal to just leave all of that behind, to chuck it all in and hit the open road. I often in my head have this sort of mental image of myself. It's probably me imagining myself in some sort of Hollywood movie of me 
you know, the guy who walks out of town, so kind of in slow motion, take your final drag of your cigarette and then you flick it over your shoulder and it lands in the petrol station. The whole thing explodes and I just walk off out into the hills. So I, I think a lot of my life is chasing that Hollywood style thing. And seeing as I don't smoke and therefore can't blow up a petrol station, I tend to try and get that feeling now by spending a couple of hours a week mooching around my local woods, just slowing down a bit. Yeah, what are the habits that you ingrain on a consistent basis that pull you to that place? You mentioned sitting on your log for an hour. Um, that happened occasionally. Um, but what what else do you do that that gives you a, a a small portion of that that centeredness and that presence and that purpose that you get from adventure? Well, yeah, I have to do. I have to try to make everything scheduled in my life because otherwise I'm just lazy and then uh, just watch TV and drink beer and hate myself. So I schedule, for example, I, I generally exercise quite late in the evening and I schedule that into my life. So that it's just an automatic thing to do. Um, and I schedule my bedtime as though I was a little kid because otherwise I just find that it's two o'clock in the morning and I'm watching some Channel 5 history documentary that I really don't need to be watching. So I just have a scheduled exercise scheduled bedtime it makes my life much simpler and i do i've been trying to do the same for tiny little micro doses of adventure so for the last three years i've scheduled a monthly tree climb into my google calendar so the first hmm. wednesday of every month ding my calendar pings and it says go climb a tree and in the same way that if you had a meeting scheduled in your calendar like go and speak to your line manager, ding, on a Wednesday morning, you just get up from your desk and go speak to the person. So for me, it's like, ding, okay, I'll go climb that tree. And if I didn't schedule that in, then I probably wouldn't do it. I think, oh no, I've got to send more emails. So, but it actually has been a great little habit to get into. I go climb this tree, which is a little couple of minutes of fun. Um, and then I just sit there for about 20 minutes, drinking a cup of tea or a coffee and I notice how the seasons have changed even in the few weeks since I was last up here and that's amazing to realize how much has gone on that I hadn't noticed it's also a really helpful little pause to reflect on what maybe my goals are for the next month right by the time I'm next up this tree what do I need to have got done with my writing for example and then I come back down the tree and get back on with my day so and I wouldn't bother doing that if it wasn't scheduled and in some ways automated into my life yeah I love the idea of constraints forcing action because we think that we want freedom and this that's named this podcast it's the freedom project podcast and it is about experiencing those moments where you do feel free but you have to box them in somehow or at least dial them in so they're happening at a point because otherwise they they never happen and the the urgent but unimportant takes over. Yeah, I think I think putting constraints onto projects is really, really helpful. I mean, I sometimes get emails from people saying things like, I want to go on an adventure. Where should I go? I've got loads of money. I haven't got a job. I go anywhere on the planet. <laughs> what should I do? And that's almost a, a painful decision for that person to try to make because what, what the heck do you do? I mean, do you go by bike or by boat or by boot? Do you go to Africa or Asia or Australia? I mean, it's impossible. So I quite like just deliberately having constraints put on things. Um, certainly, you know, from a creative point of view, put, forcing a constraint onto yourself is, is quite a good thing. I, like, I really like photography, but I also like running. So quite often when I go on a run, I take 
so if I went to a new city, for example, I like to run to go look around it. But once I start taking photos, then I just take thousands and I wouldn't get any running done. So I have I put a constraint on myself, which is to take one photograph every kilometer on the kilometer. So I run with my Strava and it says, right, you got to a kilometer and I have to stop. And on that spot where I am, I have to creatively try and take the best photo I can. And it's not going to be perfect because it's just here where I am. But that's a good thing to accept. I make my best sort of creative choice in that. And then I run on for another kilometer, take another picture. So, yeah, putting constraints onto things, I generally feel, makes stuff better rather than worse. Dr. Zeus wrote The Cat in the Hat after someone bet him he couldn't write a book with only... 50 words or 50 different words or something in it and he's made millions from that book so huh. yeah embrace the constraints that's really interesting i didn't know that i really didn't know there's there's also seems to be something about deciding on an action that um that immerses you in the moment and for you that's maybe photography or writing it kind of pulls you into the moment like People that I am working with at the moment, these kind of adventurepreneurs, so business owners that like to go and do exciting, adventurous stuff with their free time, they 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 love fishing, for example, or climbing. It's like there's some there's a purpose or there's something to do that makes you actually connect with reality and observe it as opposed to just passing it by. Yeah, I can I can empathize with that. I often feel that the main reason for coming up with an idea for an expedition is just to get you out the front door and to just go from somewhere it doesn't really matter where I go just go from A to B and the interesting stuff will happen along the way when I was writing the book micro adventures um, and obviously I had to come up with loads of different adventures ideas for the book I found that a really enjoyable and quite an easy exercise and some of them were really arbitrary so for example I um, cycled from the house where my dad was born in Leeds to the house where my mum was born in Liverpool. Two totally random, bog-standard houses. But just having that little idea sparked enough of a connection to make me interested to go and do the journey. And then I had a nice ride and camped out, and it was a, a lovely little experience and also quite a sweet sort of connection there as well. So, yeah, just mm. finding some reason to get out into the wild, which I presume is why... Um, blokes have gone fishing for hundreds of years it's basically just an excuse to sit by a river but um, to give some sort of pretense of purpose <laughs> talking about local where did the idea for local come from the idea for local for so for spending a year exploring the one ordnance survey map i live on came from a few different avenues um one of them was an increasing unease with flying off to the wild places I love and therefore by flying there um, damaging them essentially so I started to feel uneasy about distant expeditions um, micro adventures has been really good experience for getting more people out to have adventures but it still um, requires some degree of countryside i suppose it still requires people to get out into hills and mountains and lakes and oceans and stuff and and we don't all have that where we happen to live and also they tend to require a modicum of planning and preparation and equipment and skills and so i wanted to try and see if there was a way of getting wildness and nature even closer to home on an even simpler level and therefore that might 
enable more people to find more nature more often wherever they happened to live even if you just live in some sort of fairly boring landscape rather than a wilderness um and then the final motivation for it was this realization that i've now been lucky to spend years in far off countries of the world and i realized that maybe i knew more about uzbekistan than i did of some little village or little patch of woodland five miles down the road from my house and that seemed kind of crazy so trying to get to know my own area for the first time uh, felt like a, a worthwhile thing to investigate i love that what surprised you about what you found so i live just outside london and i don't like where i live i wish i lived by a beautiful ocean or up a big mountain or something. Uh, it's pretty boring where I live. There's motorways and orange traffic, orange sodium glow of lights at night and you can hear cars and there's everyone goes shopping for their, for their leisure time. So I don't really like it. Um, and so another reason for me actually starting this project was trying to change that attitude to try to, to not just think that, Oh, if I went and lived somewhere else, then my life would be perfect and all my problems would be solved. So I wanted to try and accept where I live as well um so i started the project with some trepidation thinking that exploring this pretty boring suburban landscape is going to be pretty boring and then when i write about it or talk about it for other people that's also going to be really boring so i had quite a negative um outlook on it from the start but i quite quickly found once i managed to build these habits of slowing down and paying attention and choosing to be curious and being interested in everything and therefore everything becoming interesting. Uh, what surprised me the most about the experience was actually how much wildness and nature and beauty there is near to where I am. And even though I've spent years now doing micro adventures around here, running, cycling, camping out, I, pr I, would, I would have assumed that I know this area from a adventuring point of view better than almost anybody and yet so much time in this year on my local map I was in places that I'd never been to in my life before there were so hmm. many new places and then so I spent a whole year exploring the map and then to finish off the whole project I thought quite a nice way to make a, a bit more of an adventure so so the way I did it was each week I went out and explored just one kilometer grid square so that was a constraint one kilometer grid square and I would try and see everything within that grid square and don't cross the boundary into another grid square just see this one grid square so that I should have mentioned that in the constraints bit so that meant I'd been after a year I'd been to 52 grid squares and explored them pretty thoroughly uh, but 52 grid squares on a 20 kilometer map mean there's about 400 grid squares so actually there's so much of the map I hadn't thoroughly explored so I decided to finish up the project by cycling through every single grid square on my map and that's 400 grid squares hmm. it becomes this crazy wiggly spaghetti like route as you wiggle around trying to tick off every single grid square on the map it was a great challenge to put together it was really fun and then actually doing it was fascinating because suddenly although I was only never more than about 10 miles from home I was actually out on a proper bike adventure again I was cycling hundreds of miles I was cycling all day till I was tired and then having to find somewhere to sleep at night just as I'd done across continents years before. So I was suddenly having a big adventure on a tiny area. And what struck me from those four days cycling around every grid square on my map was 
I don't know this place at all. I was constantly going through places I'd never seen in my life before, even though I'd just finished writing a book about how well I knew this area. So that there were a lot of things that surprised me. Yeah, I, I, I love listening to you talk, dude, because one of the things that's like happened personally is when like I, I went to Canada like and found this um or really got in touch with this adventurous aspect of myself and it was climbing and it was skiing and it was long through hikes and it was bears and rivers and everything that was like very exciting to me and then on return to the UK what happened is I kind of lost that sense of identity a bit um or I lost that identity of adventurer and like it was kind of like a, oh I'm in the UK it's all a bit glum it's all a bit boring everything's nice but it's not exciting um, and I was like really miffed about it and I actually ordered micro adventures and grand adventures together and it was the thing that sparked that um, that realization that my identity of adventurer and the the things that I actually loved didn't have to be in an external place and it it comes back to that frame of reference again like the depth of, of field that you're looking at um and it's something that has been encouraging me to not just look at these kind of expeditionary style things as adventure but my entire life and to think sorry if you can hear my dog shaking his, his uh, collar but to, to really think like okay life itself is an adventure and if i can take that approach to my actions in every moment and get an adventure just around myself in the Cotswolds, that is enough. And that's really been hugely beneficial to me. So, oh, so thank good. you. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I think I think a lot of all of this just comes down to your mindset, really, the, your mindset with which you choose mm -hmm. to approach each day. So something that often occurred to me exploring my local map was that when I'm off in some foreign country, and it's literally any foreign country. It doesn't have to be an exotic one. Literally any foreign country. I'm suddenly so excited. I love being in different places. And I get so mm. interested in absolutely everything, like how the billboards are or what the little beep is when you press the little green man to cross the road or how the supermarket smells a bit differently and they lay stuff out differently. Literally everything in other countries I find fascinating. And then back home, I mope around because it's boring. So what I tried to do on this map was get that traveler's mindset of that enthusiasm and curiosity and the just willing each day to be interesting and and looking for the good in every place i tried to carry all those sort of mindsets to just pottering around my local map at home um, when when i um, got home from cycling around the world i did uh, similar to you i bought the lonely planet guidebook to britain and the lonely planet guidebook to london where i lived um, for exactly that reason of I've been to all these cool places in the world. I'm a bit despondent mm. about being back in Britain, but you know, loads of people from other countries come to Britain because it's fascinating to them. So if I can choose to see this through their eyes, then I can be a traveler and an explorer every day, everywhere. Mm. Yeah, because when you when you go to Canada or when you went well, sorry, when I went to Canada and I was constantly kind of having this conversation with people where I was asking them, Oh, you must have been to to Revelstoke, you must have been to Nelson, you must have been across to Alberta and explored this place and that place, or have you been to Calgary? And that no, because it's home to them and it becomes the norm. And they would have the same conversations with me about like, Oh, you must have been to this particular mountain in the Peak District, and you must have been to this this area of the lakes, and you must have seen this in the Cairngorms and all these kind of things. And I was like, Well, some of them yes but definitely some of them no and it just kind of um 
it's about being on that venture and like you said the, the mentality shift that that incurs mm. and i think on that note there's also we often think that um oh we'll explore where we live late at some other point in life uh, but for now mm. i want to concentrate on that going off to some adventure far away so i think trying to choose to be interested in your own country and then specifically for me your own backyard is is a good it's a good it's a good way to view the world i think you don't have to go all the way around the world to find somewhere new and different yeah well it essentially opens your optics to curiosity so okay well i can i can become curious about the environment i'm in now and that seems to be a pathway to creativity but also that purpose and the path that you talked about earlier so that's um yeah it's something i'll definitely bear in mind so Let's wrap things up. Where can people find out more about you if they're not already following you? Um, if they can, where can they buy local and your other books? Um, so, if you look up Alistair Humphreys on the internet, you'll find my website, my newsletters, uh, my books. I'm on all the sort of usual sort of social media places. So, um, I've got a podcast, that, uh, um, like all good people do, um, on Spotify and all those sort of Apple places. So, yeah, if you just find look for Alistair Humphreys wherever you want to find me, I'll probably be there. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you, Tom. I've enjoyed it.